space. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission, to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. Hello again. This is Buck Benny speaking. I'm joined with Jim and Bob. We're here to talk about the second episode of season one of uh, Strange New Worlds. And um, I like this episode better than the pilot myself, personally. And the pilot was good. I mean, the, the first episode, great. But this episode, even more so, focuses on Ahura. And we'll get into what I really like about it and why I think it's really cool. I think it's probably the coolest Ahura episode ever filmed in the history of Star Trek in certain ways. And I'll explain why in a couple minutes. But what did you think, Bob? Well, yeah, given that, I think she wanted to, Nicole Nichols wanted to leave just because she didn't get enough airtime. And this is kind of really about Uhura, this whole episode. Yeah, I agree. She's sort of the central like character in this episode. Well, and the part that 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 meant so much to me is she's been the communications officer, but essentially whenever we've had Ahura involved in the past, it's kind of maybe they needed a female character for something to happen, or maybe they needed whatever reason. It was never based on her role. In this case, they needed her linguistic ability to figure out what was going on. They needed uh, to solve that she was the linchpin in solving the, the overall problem. They incorporated her singing which which has always been part of a hura in the past and just sort of her uh, what singing to herself sort of thing at tied into the episode i i was just really happy with how this all tied together i was surprised with how they they made it all work but jim i i didn't quite understand how they made the leap that's like oh so let's sing and look, if everybody sings, makes the same, you know, sounds together, this whole control thing is going to come down, and the and the the shield is going to come down. Yeah. Like how how, how I, I missed how that even. Well, that's okay. It could, we could tell you're not a linguist like she is, and you don't speak. Do you speak thirty seven languages? No, I don't think you do. So. So no, so like Bob and I got it because we speak between us, we speak 27 languages, all of them English, um, but the- uh, <laughs> and, six, and six nobody else knows. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but I mean, for, for the, what they were doing, I mean, to me, it, it seemed like it could have just as easily been something that, I don't know, turned off the atmosphere or- or yeah i mean sure i mean no i'm not saying you can't nitpick this i'm saying that i totally get where you're coming from i'm just saying it was cool it's hard whenever they're featuring something like this like i certainly uh the closest thing i can think of is what uh, pike goes down to and and his community his communicator doesn't work and it's like who was it? Shaka when the walls fell, that whole episode. Yeah. You remember what I'm talking about? And yeah. and they're communicating awkwardly. Well, you could there was 
tons of plot holes you could pick out in that episode, but they're trying something different. And in this case, they were trying to say this species communicates differently. And the way they got to them communicate was kind of through music. And they stumbled into solving the getting what happening to, to happen. But anyway, go ahead. I, I see that, but Jim's kind of right. Like if you go back to the obelisk episode with Miramonte from TOS, yeah, Spock is, is looking at these symbols for days, trying to figure out what they mean before right. he figures out that they're it's a musical phrase. Right. They're they're like, oh, something's happening, but they never like made the correlation back to what. Right what this particular tone does but right other than that it was still interesting but yeah well and, and at some point as a writer too i mean they could have had that written in for all i know but then they said okay look the audience That's doesn't right. need that and it's just taking time from the episode we could readily <coughs> this um what was it they were saying I, I was just reading about this or seeing about this someone was talking about the fact that on television when someone leaves a room or ends a phone conversation, they don't usually say goodbye, they just leave. And they're saying, well, the thing is what you find is as a writer, you're writing in things like goodbye, you're writing in the normal things that people do in their conversations. But then when you have to go in and you say, you guys got to shave off a minute and a half from this episode and you're starting to figure out, they say, you know, cutting the first minute or something might be easy. And that last 30 seconds is really hard to figure out where you're going to cut from. And so then you start cutting things like the goodbyes and the, all that kind of stuff that you don't necessarily need to move the plot, but it's like, you just can't have that. And so in, in something like this, I could see them say, well, look, we'd rather have a character moment than have you explain how the musical piece works for this alien. Right. And so I could see, them cut that or not even write that so yeah it, it just it, i mean it just kind of did leave a gap for me too. again you just got to jump leap of faith is all you can do there i mean but, if they had actually you know just had like just a few seconds of them you know trying different tones to try to figure out something or something like that so you knew that they were well, actually, they could have tied it into humor they could have used a wrong tone or something and something else happened right and they go oh that's not the right thing some gas starts to come out or something that doesn't look right let's sing a different tone oh this is you know yeah i mean it they they could have worked in and made it kind of cute and at the same time if they wanted to so yeah i get that what what else in this episode certainly the the kirk part sam kirk seems like an impulsive kind of jerk which they play certain characters as historically through yeah. the star trek um and and they're like don't touch that don't what are you doing don't do you know and then of course it backfires and he gets hurt and whatever yeah yeah i, I was expecting him to have a red shirt on yeah kind of like okay he's doing all this but he's not wearing a red shirt it's like <laughs> yes he's got the attitude of a red shirt person <laughs> yes yeah you know if he had been if he had been wearing a red shirt he would have immediately been killed and died and, and done with now, I will say some red shirts seem like nice guys that just get screwed over. I mean, I, I love it when like Spock or Kirk will say, okay, we're doing this dangerous thing and it's almost killed all of us at different times here. I want you, red shirt, to stay behind by yourself guarding this area. The rest of us are going to go yeah. and have an important conversation or whatever. And then they're surprised when Mr. Red Shirt's dead. It's like, 
dude, you told like, him to stand there by himself. I, I, if I was a red shirt, I'd be like, do you want to take my phaser too? Go ahead. I'll, I'll just, I, I, I've got impressive Kung Fu skills that I can use. The one that sticks, yeah, I can think of is the one with the giant ape things in the original yeah. series. The Galileo 7, right? Hey, you know, sit out there in the, in the fog. Yeah. These things are on these giant spears. <laughs> they've, been, they've been killing us right at our ship. But, you know, we'll go ahead and leave you in here in the middle of the fog. And yeah, yeah, that's the one that strikes out with me, too. Yeah. yeah. But there's a few where they where they put people in pretty dangerous situations like, ah, you're a red shirt. You'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. <that's> yeah. <laughs> These plants are deadly. Please stay over here while we go somewhere else and see if you get hit by this plant. Oh, my gosh. It hit you. I don't believe it. Uh Anyway, yeah. So we'll see. But uh, he was a blue shirt, yeah, not like a red shirt. So there you go. I, I liked how they played with the idea, you know, of um, the people, uh, the them wanting to stop something, and the other people trying to stop them from stopping the, the asteroid. Yes, and all of that kind of thing, and and each one thinking that that they're correct in, in what should happen. But in the end, what happened and what they did is what was meant to happen. Right. All, all along, you know, it's kind of like, it's like, Almost Oh, we're like going to last episode of Picard. We were just talking about <laughs> It's all meant yeah, to happen. You know, it's, it happens. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, Oh, you know, well, we're going to interfere with this. Well, no, you're not interfering it. You're part of it. You're doing what you're supposed to be doing. And and it won't get to the result that it's supposed to have unless you actually do what you think you or do that, you know. So rather than interrupting what it's doing, you're just doing exactly what you're part of it. You're supposed to be doing. Oh yeah, totally get what you're saying. Uh, that just made me think of something else with these aliens. I was very very happy with these aliens that they were kind of a puppetry mix, whatever they. They were a mix the of the planet or the other one or the ones in the ship. The ones in the ship, because uh, I was hoping that they go back to something like this with some of the aliens. Doesn't have to be all of them, but I get a little tired of their aliens being. Oh, this alien race has a little different eyebrows than we do, or this alien race has a, some crinkles across its forehead that we don't have, or but they still are essentially look human and things. They're just, they're just like a little bit of an appliance that they add and that's it. This one was very alien looking, very different looking. Um, and I like to see that every once in a while. That, that reminded me of TOS aliens because sometimes TOS aliens really look different, especially certainly in the cage, the, the creatures from the menagerie in the cage were some of the best aliens they ever had with the heads that would that would even have the veins that would move and everything and that was cool and they i don't know it's it's weird when you seem to have sometimes better effects in the past than you do in next generation and so forth because they never had any aliens that really looked that cool like those ones did in my opinion but this one was kind of a cool looking alien so bob did you did you really think that they looked that different I mean, a little I, bit i guess i mean you know, they still basically had a nose and the mouth and the two eyes yeah. but but the eyes are they the actor couldn't see and then afterwards on ready room they showed them a little bit talked a little bit about them too and the eyes were spread apart or whatever so that they were too far and the you know the actor couldn't see out of the the thing they had on him and 
They did have a part that pulsates and things, though we can hardly see it. I know that. But at least they're putting effort in, and I'll take the effort. So uh, I, it wasn't my favorite alien by any means, but it was, it was of the TOS feel. If this alien appeared on a view screen with Kirk, it wouldn't have surprised me. It, he, it would have fit in with Kirk's sort of aliens that he ran into sometimes. So there you go. Bob, you got anything for us? Yes? Oh, you're there? Hey, hello, Bob. Um, <laughs> Did you like the aliens? Yes. Do the aliens suck? I don't know. <laughs> no, they were they were all right. I just think that maybe there's the thing that all species are related and they're all humanoid. They're right. Still and humanoid. You have to kind of lean on that and accept that. I agree. Yeah, yeah. You kind of don't, although you do get like a crystalline aliens and some other things like that, but you don't see really really you think at some point there'd be something that wouldn't be even humanoid right well something like the horda right uh, it's this lava yeah. creature that we saw that was completely different uh, i i think they need to sometimes have something like that that's really alien looking i know it's tricky to do and it's hard to write a story about but even if you only do a couple of those in the entire series it's still well for instance the horda one you name that one and then and people know what you're talking about or or the certainly the um, doomsday machine is a really alien looking object sort of thing but if you just do a few of those it'll make the series feel like yeah it has some unique things because because uh if you just have every week a different alien that's just this one has no eyebrows and this one has you know an extra nostril in the center or something it's like after a while yeah. you just it gets like okay well they're just trying to say well let's do them so they're not 100 percent human but we don't want to cost a fortune to our budget either so there you go <laughs> but anyway uh jim other and any other thoughts on the episode what else do you think about this one um did you like that it featured it like a, a horror or did you think that it i don't know i don't know where you're at with that no, no, I think I think that was fine. You know, I mean, it, I, I think we're going to see that probably, you know, being the first season with some of these characters, they're going to try to set up the characters, you know, so I think we'll probably see an episode that kind of revolves around whoever they think is kind of the core, the core cast. So, you yeah. know, I bet, I, bet we'll, I bet we'll get like at least four or five episodes that are you know, kind of tie so. each of the core cast and and it, it, a couple of things that probably gives the actor time or gives them makes them feel like they're you know not valued some, and, yeah yeah some smaller person on the on the series uh, you know because if they're always you know you got five lines that you say and that's a that's all you say every episode you know you, you probably feel like uh, you're not getting used but you know once or twice during the season you have right. a lot more. Up, then they're they're probably going to like that better. Although you know, personally, I would say five lines and collect the check of you know twenty thousand or five thousand or fifty thousand or however much these guys make per episode. probably more than that. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. To, to go and go and say five lines, you know, I mean, they're five lines. Probably you know they're there for one day, kind of kind of thing. And if they're going to cut you a check for for tens of thousands of dollars, that would. Uh, I wouldn't uh, argue too much about that. No, yep. no. Well, and I think you're right. I think it'll 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 ping pong around the different characters. I assume that the writers feel like 
last week's episode of the pilot was a on episode when it really, you know, was pushing it. It was like a little bit, it gave us a little bit of background about her character, but, uh, but on the other hand, she's a security chief person or whatever. So I would think she would be kind of like Worf where she's going to be in more storylines because she'll be on the away team most of the time and that sort of thing. Um, I think this episode definitely was a her episode. I would assume we're going to see an Mbanga episode at some point because we don't know much about him. I would assume we're going to see Erica, the, the navigator episode, focusing on her as well. Um, and, and probably, a, I don't think they would consider any of the episodes a Chapel episode yet, but Chapel is probably the most featured of the non-featured <laughs> characters. I mean, she had a big part of both these episodes, sort of. Oh, uh, this episode, the other thing is uh, the, the famous uh, come to my captain's quarters and we'll have a party uh, where his quarters is like, so amazingly huge. I mean, uh, I definitely would like his his captain's yeah. quarters are very nice, very much. I don't know how Kirk got such a downgrade when he became captain that they gave him this little he quarter. Got that, he got that little screen in the bed and the uh, yeah. desk with the monitor on it. <laughs> his little button they can press where his awards are like in the little uh, glove compartment yeah. thing that he has there. <laughs> but, but, the, but no, but the Pike man, he got a heck of a, of a layout. But it was kind of cool to see them, him out of uniform. They're all just casual visiting with each other somewhat. And there was still, what's interesting is there's still an etiquette that goes on there. I mean, when he talked to her, or her about, you know, Starfleet and her saying she's not sure if she wanted to be in Starfleet, they made that a pivotal like point for the episode and where that bothered a lot of the folks because you know they're all like well we fought hard to get into starfleet and things i I thought that was an interesting piece that wouldn't surprise me if that kind of conversation would happen especially with someone who's as talented as ahura is that she'd have lots of options and be like well i don't know starfleet might be the right direction i'm not sure but uh bob any did any of that strike you the the scene in his yeah i mean there's always that protocol they want you to not tell the truth yeah they want you to say this is great it's awesome i'm on board and she doesn't do that um yeah i'm 100 here this is my this is my life's calling and all that yeah yeah which was kind of cool to have her not do that because yeah i think so too i think i i thought that was refreshing her just being honest about it and them having to think back to, oh, what do we do if someone was honest? We're not, we're not expecting that. <laughs> we're expecting it. Just pull toe the line, you know? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, uh, I lo- I, I'm liking the relationship between Pike and Spock and Pike and number one. Those are two cool, really, and they just keep needing to build on that. And they, like you said, in the first episode, they really didn't do much with number one. In this episode, she she didn't have a lot, but when she did have the scenes she did have were well written for her, I thought. Um, and it looks like from the previews, like next week will be a number one more number one centric episode, is what I assume that one's going to be. So, which I'm happy about. I like number one. So. I always, you know, that character in the pilot seems pretty strong. In in the in the pilot, you mean the original pilot, the cage or menagerie? Yeah, 
Agreed. Yeah, because I mean, she was lifting giant boulders over her head. And <laughs> no, no, but I, I would agree, she's, Bob. She's, she she was a very strong female presence, and and at a time when I can see how they said, "Oh no, the public's not ready for this," but I really oh, yeah. like the character. And I would have enjoyed that seen, character. Yeah. yeah. See more of that out of Rebecca Romjan's character. Yeah, that number one to see her be a little bit more aggressive. But maybe that's going to come out coming up. Yeah, well, they have. She's such a blank slate because you don't know. Because unfortunately, like I said, they've taken what was her character in that pilot, the original pilot back fifty-five years ago, and they gave a lot of that to Spock. So she can't be the same character as Spock. So it's like you've got to figure out a new character for this person. Um, or is she very similar to Spock, which would be fine too, because then she would have more of an in with uh, the Vulcan. His, if, if she kind of leaned towards that logicalness and things, that would tie her into him somewhat. And that would be interesting too. Um, well, but they also, I mean, they have this the <coughs> head of security as well, Khan and... She's yeah, that, kind she's of a. That, she's that character too. Yeah, she's taking and, 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 and the navigator too. Yeah, yeah. That's why I think there's too many of those characters. Type yeah, characters. yeah. Because I, I, I can see very easily where they're going to have a hard time fitting in number one. With you know, you can see it's like oh, the security woman. You know, she's really strong, aggressive, and all. You know, whatever there and. You know, so now you don't want to have too many that are like that. Right. And, and you got Spock that's all really logical and kind of devoid of emotion. So you can't really have her fill that void. And so I could see them having a problem kind of fitting her in. Which is, goes back to my original point. It's just, I think there's too many characters. Well, you know, if you're going to have one to have that role, you shouldn't have those other characters. I don't think. Well, and I like, I really like having female characters. I think it's really important. But I feel like they almost went overboard with how many female characters they have because they essentially kept Spock and uh, and the captain, but then they surrounded them with almost all the other characters are, are female that they've introduced for the most part. I guess you'd say the big ones, though, you'd say, okay, historically, the medical, the, the doctor has been very important and that is a male character. Historically, the the engineers of an important character that's a male character it's just they haven't shown us those characters very much yet i mean they, they played a little more with the 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 engineer in this one we got a little more of an introduction to him but anyway you were going to say something about i don't know if it's male or, so much male or female it's just that when i go back and look at that one pilot i see uh nigel my nigel barrett playing a pretty strong yes upfront woman and now we've got three of those yes that are the exact same sort of characters so now what are they going to do with her right i don't know no i agree there was in the if you look back to that original pilot the only other female character that was a fairly strong character in there was the character of colt which we don't have in this version um people were speculating that some who was going to be colt and that there was going to be an alien colt or something but anyway but Colt's character wasn't built up much in that first pilot either. And it was essentially, she was, she was the more feminine of the two and things. Um, she was, I, I think she was his yeoman or something. I'm not sure what, who, she, uh, what 
she played on the show necessarily. But yeah, if you're going to have three characters that overlap each other so much as those three, that's kind of questionable. Um, I do oh, think it played up her humor a lot more. Number one seems to have a good sense of humor that the other ones, mm-hmm. certainly Laon, Laon doesn't seem to have, they're not playing up her sense of humor at all. But they're playing up. But they, Erica, they do make her. She says little snide remarks all the time and things. So I don't know. Well, and and, and I think it would be this. You know, it's not just because they're women. You know, strong women. I mean, it would be the same if you had like, you know, three or or more guys on the on the bridge or whatever that are all kind of you know somewhat kind of aggressive alpha yeah that's the, that was my point really not I, 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 I guess they're, just, they're all alpha women really sort of and yeah yeah and, and if you had three guys that were like that on the bridge at the same time there's like it's like well they're all kind of the same and and, yeah. and you know, when they tell stories they like to have you know different kinds of people um so it's true yeah. I guess I'm just saying, I, think that- I would have liked to have seen one of the bridge officers. I mean, okay, they, they have sitting in the, let's see, Erica's like the navigation. So next to that is what, the con, where, where it used to be like Chekhov would sit, right? So where Chekhov would sit, Sulu. I would have, no, Sulu was, was navigator on the original right. ship. And that's what Erica does. So Erica is says, says Sulu. They switch sides on them though? I'm trying to remember which side. No, Eric's I think Eric is on the same side as Sulu used to be on. Okay, I was thinking. I think so. But but they but the other one they have is a character we don't know very well at all. I has a name, I think, but essentially is that yeah, interchangeable character that you usually have sitting there. But it's like I would have put a male there. I think it would have just when you just look at the wow. ship and you go you go how many females are on the bridge? You go okay, oh, we really could probably use a male here and let them be the non character or whatever and just have him be the dude that's just sitting there but uh so it just it's it's another female and then fans immediately noticed her sitting there and were like oh we'd like to know more about her that and so they want to make her into a regular <laughs> member and if if she is then then you've got a whole bridge that's all female which is okay it's just different and and strange when when the line that that's the most controversial from the original pilot is pike saying as as uh colt comes up to him going as she walks away he's like i just can't get used to having women on my bridge and then uh number one like gives him a look and he said no no you know it didn't mean anything to you number one i don't think of you as a woman and then she even looks more upset and so but but to know that that dialogue happened and then it it, it, and then it, to have this setting with, with so many women on the bridge, it's like just completely opposite. The other thing that we haven't mentioned that I thought I would, the original series, when you look at it, we, we always think of Star Trek, you know, when you watch it now, as, oh my gosh, what a great multi-ethnic cast. You have Asians, you have, you have a Black woman, you got, you know, Sulu, you got all of that going on. And then, but in the original pilot, The Cage, it was not that at all. I don't think there was anybody that wasn't white. Everybody was white that I can, you know, I'll have to go back and look through it and see if there's any background, anybody, but all the main characters were all white. And, uh, and the only, only thing progressive about it was that they had some women in some positions and certainly one in a very 
high position of, of being a command, second in command. But other than that, it was strange how it went from that to the second pilot being where they started to have more other races. And then when they went to series, even more so. I don't think Ahuro was on it until <coughs> went into production for a few weeks and then she was introduced. But anyway. Yeah. Well, they probably, they probably, you know, in the original series, they had, you know, a more diverse cast, but they still had more um, a sexist, you know, so that they had, they had evolved and had a more diverse cast, but still, you know, it was, it was sexist really. Well, it was probably more sexist in that, at least in the yeah. first pilot, the women were dressed essentially like the men in pants and everything by the, by the time the series came along, all the women skirts, were in skirts. ultra mini skirts that were ridiculous to think that they would be wearing those on a. Yeah, but they were kind of probably, you know, I mean, we're talking pretty popular at the time. Oh, for the time. Oh, yeah. No, no, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying to think of them as functional on some sort of starship, probably not. But yeah. 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 But it is, it all is what it all is. And you just take it and I just, I'm pointing out things that I've noticed, but uh, yeah, it just, we'll see, we'll see where the series goes. I mean, I hope they develop good characters for all these women. I hope that, I really hope that, that the, that number one doesn't get overwhelmed with these other characters and them not knowing what to write for number one. I really want number one to be a strong character and presence on the show from her historical importance Plus the fact that I like the actress who's playing her, and I've always enjoyed that character, though we've only had her in one episode. It just shows how strong that character was that she made an impression from one episode. And, and then you think of that as Nigel Barrett, like you said before, she goes from that strong character to Nurse Chapel, who, like, I think you made a comment, somebody made a comment earlier. <laughs> She's just there to fawn over Spock. Yeah, right completely different well and they wanted a different actress to play her and so that's why he changed her hair color and everything else he was trying to get it by the the network so they wouldn't realize that she was the same actress because they really said they didn't like the actress you know because essentially you can't i mean i guess you can say you don't like an actress but what they were really saying is we feel uncomfortable with how powerful this actress is how powerful this character is she's playing and she's going to play a totally different, and obviously they didn't know. And so they, you know, by her playing a different role entirely, she just, it's just weird. Because even as a person watching it, a person would have a hard time connecting that those are the same actress playing both those roles because they're so drastically different from each other. Um, you know, that, that's, that's why I think that in Strange New Worlds, they should have had the actress playing number one, also playing Nurse Chapel. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. It would have been interesting to do that. And, and everybody just acts like they're two different people. No one ever realizes that they're the same. You know, she just put a different wig on or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And, and same actors playing the different roles. I, I, it, would, it would have just been kind of funny. But. A little over the top. But yeah, that would have. Yeah, but it would certainly, been. or you could do that if Nurse Chapel was only going to be on like one episode and then be gone. And, and that would have been a fun thing to do. But I, that, I'm more happy that they're keeping her on there. So that, that, that would have been something that they would do on uh, the Orville. Yes. Something like yes. that. They would, they would do that 100%, I think, on the, on the Orville. Yeah. 
And speaking of Orville, it's coming back here. Uh, third season starts up uh, sometime later this month, I think. So yeah, yeah, I think it's like yeah, you know, June or something like that. Yeah, What's which has always been a fun show. I, I just think it's, it's interesting that they've got they're on their third season, and we've got five Star Trek shows now on, and and uh, Star Trek is just coming well, back. It got, it got moved over to Hulu now, right? Yeah, so it's not on Fox or whatever it was before. So now, it's but what's Fox. really silly is I think this is its final season. I don't. I think they're just yeah. doing this one, and and it seems kind of silly that they took what two years off to make this season or something, and then they're releasing it, and they're not doing another season. It seems like a lot of work for one more season. Yeah, well, COVID, you know. Yeah, also it was all that. I think they had everything in place. Yeah, yeah. So I get it, and I'll. I'll take another season of Orville. I'm good. And yeah. heck, they can then say it ran as long as the original Star Trek, right? Three seasons. So anyway, uh, what are we looking forward to with this series? Where do we want it to go? Um, any characters you're, any storylines you're looking for or anything? I mean, bring back um, the original Romulans from, uh, from uh, guy that played Spock's fathers. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> COVID brains. Mark Leonard. We need Mark Leonard back. Yeah. 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 I, we need some Romulans. Yes. I, I want to see a Gorn episode. Yeah, I can see a Gorn episode. Would be fun. Um, certainly, they featured. They had a Gorn episode right in Enterprise, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah. Did they do a good job of it? I, I can't remember. I mean, it seemed like it, it, they used CGI, of course, to pull it off and things, and it was more reptilian than the original right mm. but were you happy with that or do you even remember the episode much or anything i don't remember it much but i remember there was yeah that they had it so yeah yeah no, I, I, think... I, I, I like that this one is episodic yes so I, I i'm really looking forward to that you know i'm looking forward to each episode standing alone rather than you know like they did with discovery and picard and stuff where it's like a big huge right arc I I am too. I mean, I'm okay with the big arcs sometimes, and I would I, I don't want all their shows to eliminate the arcs, but I think you know Discovery can keep the arcs or whatever they want. But I do think it's important to have the characters have arcs of themselves and growth over the course of seasons and so forth, which it definitely seems like they're going to be doing. So I think that's a great mixture of the two. Um, I yeah I'm really happy so far and we'll see where and and the third episode just from the preview looks like it's right up my alley I mean the only what I would say about these two is I'd say I want more number one I haven't seen too much of her and it sounds like that's where that next episode's going to go so we'll see where they build her character or not so I I am delighted with I think his characterization of Spock was good in Discovery but I think these two episodes have been just nailing the character. I really think his Spock is really, really good. And of course, Mount's pack, his Pike has been perfect from day one, almost on discovery and it continues to be pitch perfect. So I just really love him. So um, Bob, what, what do you think about, I don't know, all that stuff. Am I right with that? I think, yeah. He did awesome. He's almost more Spock than Spock. Yeah, <laughs> more Spock than Spock. <laughs> okay, so more Spock than Nimoy. You're saying? Part of it's because, he, like you said, they were adjusting the characters they went on, but he is super logical. 
Yeah. Um, so I think he did a really good job pulling it off without looking. He doesn't look fake doing it. All right. What did you think about the laugh when he starts laughing at some point? It was it in this episode of the first? It's this episode. Yeah. Where yeah. He starts laughing, and a lot of fans had issues with that. Um, I don't know. You got an issue with it or not, or what? I. <laughs> you okay, Bob? Yeah. Bob <laughs> yeah, I, I personally, I, I didn't have a problem with it because I, I felt that he was doing it more to fit in. Yes. So it was probably more, you know, it's like, okay, now I'm supposed to laugh now, right? So ha, 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 yeah. ha, ha. Kind of like he it reminded me of something data would do when yeah. data was trying to learn a new thing and said, Oh, I've learned this. This is yeah. And he even he even mentioned that's what he was doing, right? So I was okay with it. And then the the other piece is I look at his character from the cage pilot and where he was at. And that and, and so he he needs to be playing kind of this middle character that's between what the cage pilot Spock was and what Spock was in TOS. And I think he's doing a pretty good job of navigating that. So I'm happy with it. It's, it's one of those things where it's half him and half the writers that have to navigate that. Right. But Bob, more thoughts on that or anything? Or I I didn't have any trouble. I thought it was like his human side. Yeah. And also I let things slide a little bit with, with, if they're trying to make the show funny or whatever, it's sometimes those things land really well and sometimes they don't. Certainly on Orville, a lot of times they fall flat too. I mean, it's, it's tricky when you're trying to make a show light and funny and airy and at the same time have depth to it. Um, it I'm just happy they're trying it. I'm happy they're trying something that's similar to the old TOS where every week you never knew exactly what you were going to get. They also, oh, that was the other thing was when you had that laugh, it was the old Star Trek moment where at the end they're all laughing. Yes. You usually it's Kirk, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, and the bridge crew laughing, usually at Spock, but that that was kind of a throwback to the (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I know something I was going to mention that I wish they would do that they're not doing. I love, love that they have him speaking at the front. You know, they're giving the whole uh, space, the Final Frontier speech thing. So I love that they're doing that. But at the end, I would love it if they had little still pictures in front of the, the credits to go with different episodes. Because remember, they, they would have yeah pictures from episodes we hadn't even seen yet right they'd be pictures and of course they could totally do that they could have pictures from all 10 episodes as long as it's not going to give anything away but it could just be a scene that you go i've never seen him in front of that building before or whatever it always when i was watching it as a kid you'd always go oh I haven't, where's that come from and you know and and i i always liked that they had those different uh stills at the end of the of the show but well, they I- just have the black background i'm like oh, they can make it much more exciting but anyway go ahead Jim. Well, and it's and it's not just the the stills at the end i mean a lot of television shows of that time and and before and and even after you know you have the credits and the intro to the show at the beginning and stuff and they would show you all sorts of scenes that they would put into the the credits or the, the intro into the to the episodes for the you know for the show and it would be like little parts 
from all from the season. So you'd, you'd be kind of looking for those. Yes. You know, when am I going to see that little part, you know? And, and yeah. Like, oh, okay. Then you see it and it's like, oh yeah, that, okay. That's the part that they, they use. Or that. They, they, they've been having on this. Yeah. Yeah. That I've seen for a half a season waiting for this. And oh, there it is. Yeah. Yeah. John, Johnny Quest is a good example of that. With Johnny Quest, you'd you'd see the credits and be going, "Oh, what season are these guys in this hovercraft in? And when did, where's this? Where's this part? Where's this episode come in?" Yeah, almost almost like Easter eggs. <laughs> yeah, right. <coughs> the Wild Wild West, right? Did they have those like drawings? Yeah, yeah. That yeah. would be pieces of the episode. They should do that. Drawings from Wild Wild West is. <laughs> you guys are reaching back to the wrong show oh well close enough it's from that time frame <laughs> da, 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 da. <laughs> i love that <laughs> and then you'd watch slowly as the painting as, as as they'd add more little pieces to it by the end yeah each each commercial break they'd add another piece to the piece puzzle. yeah i remember that yeah that was fun anyway all right well i guess we'll be done for this episode so thanks everybody <laughs> I, enjoy it bob get better and uh i'm oh, gonna go back to bed i think go back to bed man you deserve it so but thanks for being with us bob and uh we'll be back next week bye everybody this week i host celia rose gooding who has stepped into the role of cadet nyota uhura on star trek strange new worlds along with executive producer henry alonzo myers we'll get the inside scoop on creating strange new worlds 23rd century uniforms plus i've got an exclusive look at next week's episode buckle up and report to the ready room for all that and more Hey nerds, I'm Will Wheaton and this is The Ready Room, your official behind the scenes hub for all things Star Trek Universe. Today we are breaking down episode two of Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Well, it still thrills me that I am here to talk about Star Trek Strange New Worlds. This episode is titled Children of the Comet, and before we go any further, red alert! If you haven't seen the episode, please make sure you navigate your way to it and then come back here to discuss, or you will find yourself needing Cadet Uhura's linguistic skills to decipher this ready room. Today I am so honored to have two three-name guests beaming in to join me. The incredible Celia Rose Gooding, who plays Cadet Uhura, alongside Star Trek Strange New Worlds executive producer Henry Alonzo Myers. I cannot wait to hear all about playing Uhura as we have never seen her before. Following that discussion, we'll take a deep dive into the new 23rd century Starfleet uniforms that grace our scenes in this new series with costume designer Bernadette Croft. Don't worry, I won't forget about that exclusive look at next week's episode. But before we get to any of that, Star Trek Strange New Worlds debuted its first episode last week, and in that premiere episode, a new Star Trek theme debuted as well. And what a theme. Did you catch that theremin at the end? Now, I am a nerd who loves theremins. If you are also a nerd who loves theremins and their beautiful intersection of art and technology, and I know there are a lot of us, I just wanted us to have this little moment of theremin appreciation together. Thank you. So let's take a look at the composition of that theme with storied Star Trek composer Jeff Russo and series composer Nami Melamod. Control room, engage. The theme music for Star Trek is iconic. We're always like singing it on set. 
We'll like do some like Star Trek-y thing and then start humming it. There are certain things that happen on this show where you get reminded of the original series and one of them is the music. It's goosebumps every time. Computer, identify this song. One of the greatest parts about this show is how close we are to the original series in terms of the timeline. We're directly preceding what will happen in the original series. So one of the things I talked about with Henry and with Alex about writing the theme for this incarnation is to really evoke the same things that the original series evokes. So I, I took a little from Alexander Courage's original theme and then sort of tried to come up with melodies and harmonic content that really still evoked all that same stuff but was sort of a deconstruction of what will come in the next series which would be the original series. The idea is, is always to try to connect everything and I went back and forth between whether or not I would use a, a human voice in the theme or if I wanted to use a theremin and the theremin obviously also evokes the idea of a voice. So I thought it was a really good idea to use something like that as just a splash at the very end to see how we can really connect the theme from the original series and the theme from this one. So it was just a ton of fun for me to try to figure out like how to do that, how to have our own voice, and yet still really evoke that same feeling. And I think Nami took that idea and sometimes presses that theme into the score. Collaboration with Jeff Russo, first it's, it was very exciting. He's been doing a lot of tracks, so he's like super, super experienced and he has like really good insights. You know, we had great talks and, and he's, he's a great guy. You know, one of the things that we love to do is just plant little Easter eggs in places. And I know I speak for Nami in, in saying that we're both huge fans of the of the entire franchise and huge fans of the original series and huge fans of of the music in general so the idea that we can touch on all that stuff is just such fun for us it responds to music when approaching different episodes with different uh, scenarios different planets you kind of want to be specific as much as possible and have a certain signature sound, whether it is a, a different motif or a, like a melodic thing, or maybe it's some, some kind of an instrument. Someone help me out here. I skip music class. What I was trying to go for is, if this is Vulcan, then it's going to feel like Vulcan. I'm a pretty melodic composer. I, I, I mean, as you've seen probably in Prodigy, like I, I love to take like uh, a distinct sound or, or a theme or a melody. There's like a, an Uhura uh, motif. This is not the Uhura that we know from the original series. This is a younger Uhura who's not entirely sure that she wants to be in Starfleet at all. The music kind of goes with her on, you know, her first away mission. Like, what, what is that like? So we basically told that episode from her perspective. When I get to do that, when I get to follow like a, a, an overall arc, it's really cool. We are cleared for warp, sir. Obviously, you have the big hero shots of the ship, <laughs> which called for like super big score. Uh, and what we're doing is, is recording 2D in the room. So like when you hear the entire orchestra playing together, for me, it's like a big, really big and, and wide smile, <laughs> if that makes sense. You are quite simply the only person for the job. It's a big responsibility. You want to do the track and you want to make everyone happy. But ultimately, you draw from the story like and the characters. Like that, that is the most important thing. I love this job. I think people are going to be happy. <laughs>
Today I have the talented and musically gifted Celia Rose Gooding, Uhura herself, as well as Star Trek Strange New World showrunner Henry Alonzo Myers joining me in the ready room. Welcome. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having us. Celia, you know the historical and cultural significance of Uhura. Tell me what it means to you to step into this iconic role. I mean, besides the obvious level of humility and honor and excitement, it, it is such a groundbreaking opportunity for me as someone who is a direct product of Nichelle's legacy. I think the fact that she was one of the first women to, black women specifically, to play a role of non-servitude, it was opening the, the scope of what black women could do in film. And so without her, I would not, of course, be playing this character, but I don't think I would be an actor truly. So it is, I, I try not to think about it too much because I get incredibly overwhelmed and excited, but it's, it's, it I means, really understand that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it means more to me than I could possibly put words to. I just hope I'm doing it justice. Your Uhura was always mm -hmm. going to be your Uhura. And that's important and that's awesome. I see that you get that. Um, yeah. And that's really exciting. But you are playing Uhura at a very specific moment in her life in a way that we have never seen before, where she's a cadet. She's unsure. Is Starfleet really for me? I want to know what that means to you and how you are approaching that particular take on this character. I'm approaching it from a standpoint of someone who has no idea of what her future is, even though the rest of the universe does uh, outside of the timeline. Everyone knows that she's going to be staying there. She's eventually going to command and she's eventually going to do and go forward and do incredible things. But I'm coming from a standpoint of someone who is like, yes, subtly brilliant and uh, uh just trying to figure it out. She's someone who is in a place that she thinks is going to be a temporary period. And she's not necessarily super interested in putting roots down and really, really connecting with the people around her. She's really trying to mourn and grieve and, and spend time doing something that gets her out of her own head, but also engages her in a way that uh, I think she is really attracted to, which eventually leads to her staying and, and all of that. Henry, we have talked about how Celia has interpreted uh, all of these ideas and brought this Uhura to life. And a lot of that comes from the work you are doing as the showrunner. You know how important all of this is. You know that as someone who is in charge of these legacy characters, they're not your characters the way we writers think of characters as being our characters, right? These characters kind of belong to Star Trek and you get to mold them and put your mark on them and move them around in ways that like the rest of us only get to do with our action figures. Talk to me, uh, talk to me a little bit about approaching developing backstories for legacy characters. Television is a collaboration. Sure. It's a deep, deep collaboration. And so, like, for instance, with approaching Uhura, we felt it was important to really show a different perspective. Uh, and we had this unique opportunity to show an Uhura who is different from any Uhura that we'd seen before, someone who is 
young who is uh, uh, good at what she does, but not as not the assured future captain that she will eventually become. Um, but like a, a an entry point character. The job that we the way that we approach the job on the show tends to be we're trying to make the show that we would want to see. Um, and to that extent, it's about creating what I hope are interesting situations for our talented actors and directors uh, and then letting them play, mm -hmm. you know, and then we get their incredible work back and we shape it and hone it a little bit, but like, it's all there. I mean, I, I can't tell you when, when I remember when Celia auditioned and she was Uhura, she may not realize it at the time, but she was Uhura in that moment. Celia, did you realize it? Or or like all actors, were you like, well, I blew it? No, I, I had no idea who I was auditioning for when I was auditioning. I knew it was in the Star Trek universe. Yeah. I knew she was young. I knew she was brilliant. I knew she yeah. was a linguist and, and, and a communicator. And I was like, oh, cool. I, I can do this. And then um, I started meeting with Henry and Akiva and, and I, and I was like, this feels like this is going to be much bigger than I could ever comprehend. And then I remember going to one of my initial fittings and getting a phone call of like, Hey, so um, Yabo is not real. That's not a real person. You're actually playing young Uhura. And I gasped so hard that my Uber driver looked back at me and was like, are you okay? And I'm like, yes. Um, wait, wait, hold on. You were going to the fitting when you found out you were playing Uhura? That's amazing. Yeah. That is so cool. I know for a fact that if I knew who I was auditioning for, my tape would have been completely different. And so I am both like flabbergasted and eternally grateful for the fact that I had no idea who I was auditioning for until well after I'd already booked the role. Um, Henry. The uh, the shepherds, the shepherds make me think of the Pearson's puppeteers from the Ringworld universe. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but they make me think I of these am, kind of. I haven't read Ringworld in forever. They make me feel like these kind of like galactic progenitors who sort of feel, from from my perspective, they feel like we are gods, but like they're incredibly myopic for like they think they're gods. We escort the Hanit. The comet. Bahanit is far more than a comet. Bahanit is one of the ancient arbiters of life. Okay. But I'm really interested to hear about the blending of practical and puppeteering uh, to bring these, these creatures to life. T tell me about that. Well, uh, first off, that the creature was a, a, a uh, um, creation of legacy uh, effects who do all of our prosthetics work. And they are, I mean, they're phenomenal. And we knew coming into it that part of the fun, I think of this series, Akiva and I really wanted to do, we do a lot of CG work, but we mm -hmm. also wanted to do kind of harken back to some great practical uh, effects. Mm -hmm. uh, and so when we were designing this creature, we thought this is a perfect opportunity. We only see them on the screen. So we'll be able to kind of manipulate them in an interesting way. Um, the puppet's design, I mean, it's actually an actor in there. We, we, we cast, uh, we were casting the actor and the actor has no, basically they put, a, they put a prosthetic over their face that covered everything through here and it's the actor's mouth. Wow. Uh, we wanted someone who could speak, who had a really great voice. Uh, but everything, the eyes, everything above that is all uh, uh, controlled by, I want to say it was two or three puppeteers because Amazing. those are all mechanical. The Hanit is far more than a comet. Eyes are mechanical, the brows are mechanical. There's like 
little kind of uh, 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 bags in the head that kind of pulse uh, that you can probably see as you uh, as you watch him talk. Mahanit is one of the ancient arbiters of life. Uh, but the, it was important to have an actor's performance at the center of it. Yes. Um, and and because he he can't really do anything because half of his face is covered. Uh, we want and and can't even see while he's in it. We wanted to make sure that he had a very strong voice uh, that could kind of uh, come through that. Mahanit's course is preordained. Um, so I mean, it was a it was. It, I feel like we that one that experiment really worked. Um, you know, it, it it really uh you could he felt like a real alien. The eyes were really great. Like he really, you know, feels present, feels there. You kind of get a sense of his emotions. You know, and that's what I think is great about practical, uh, um, you know, prosthetic work that I miss with some of the CG is you really feel the actor inside. Then we shall not part as enemies. When I got to talk to some of the folks involved in Picard season two, and we particularly talked about the board queen and when Annie was here and we talked about bringing her to life, whenever there was an opportunity to do something practically on set, everyone gets very excited about that. It's, 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 it's part of, and to me, that makes me feel like there's a big part of us that's still just little kids playing with our toys. And we love to see these things come to life on the set in front of us. Celia, um, I have like just card after card after card of questions for you, but I know we're running out of yeah. time. So, so well, I just, <laughs> so I just wanted to get to a, a couple of quick things with you. Speaking of the practical effects, working with the AR wall. Oh yeah. How did that were you able, I would imagine, you can just lose yourself in that, right? I oh mean, my it can gosh. really just commit to a performance in a way that a green screen does not allow. Um, yeah. I'm getting to talk to everybody who works on it uh, about what that is like. And I'm curious to know what your experience as an actor was like, how that affected your performance specifically. I am coming from a theater background. I love being able to like see things, touch things, put my hands on everything and like actually walk up to it, see how it moves and being able to be on the AR wall and actually see the world that we're in. It is incredibly freeing, but also incredibly grounding. It, mm -hmm. it, it looks very cool. And as someone who is like just fascinated by shiny things, it, it was very, very cool to like, see it move and see the, the the cave come alive and watch the egg unfold it was just like mesmerizing like what you said earlier i very much felt like a little kid having an opportunity to like step behind the the it feels like something out of night of the museum i don't know why my brain goes there but it like I get it. to be able to take a step behind the red rope and see how it all goes down it's like awe inspiring and and so much of the stuff we did specifically for this episode I, uh, there's one moment in which I was turning on this spinning platform and singing and the world was moving around me and I got a little misty because it was like, this is what I do for a living. This is incredible. It, 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 Henry and, and the entire team, they've given me a wealth of opportunity to do incredible stuff that I really don't know I'll have another opportunity to do in my career and to have it so soon and to get so used to it. It's like, I find myself pinching myself constantly of like, this is real, this is present, stay grounded, stay here, don't freak out, don't freak out, don't freak out. Control Room tells me that I have gone over, I've taken up more of your time than you generously agreed to uh, grant to us. So I wanna thank both of you so much for being here. Celia, I wanna say as someone who's been part of this for 35 years, um, that sense of like, wow, I can't believe this is real, I can't believe this is my job, 
it never gets any less than it is right now. I'm so excited Thank for God. you. I'm so excited for you to live with this just because I know what it means and I know how it just gets cooler. And Henry, I am so unbelievably thrilled to see the rest of the season and see where you take us uh, as Strange New Worlds continues to unfold in front of us. Thank you both so, so much for your time together and congratulations on the launch of what I am confident is going to be a legendary Star Trek franchise. Thank you. In the Star Trek episode, The Galileo 7, what is the name of the second shuttle Kirk orders to search for Galileo? Is it A, Copernicus, B, Einstein, C, Tycho, or D, Columbus? Don't boldly go anywhere. Stay tuned for the answer. Nerds, I want you to use your imaginations for a second. I want you to imagine that you are a costume designer who gets to work on Star Trek. Then, a few years later, you get to design your version of the Starfleet uniform. That is, of course, not something that only exists in your imagination. It is a real thing that happened. Bernadette Croft worked on Star Trek Discovery's first season, and now she's exploring strange new worlds. Let's take a look at how these new uniforms that evoke their classic inspirations were brought to life. Wearing the Starfleet uniform, it's quite flattering. It's sleek, it's cool. It's fitted. I would say it's much less 60s than the original series, but more 60s than Discovery. <laughs> and a lot more forgiving. <laughs> That's the most important part. It's the iconic Starfleet uniform, and I have my own. That's nuts to me. I think the mission statement for A Strange New Worlds is to pay tribute to the nostalgia of TOS. Not replicate, but kind of just pay tribute. TOS started in 2266, and we are in Strange New Worlds at 2256. And it's about a year after we last saw Pike on Discovery. So I'm kind of caught in these um, two very visually different shows. So we kind of had to come up with a way to marry them together. What we did was we used the kind of strong silhouette of Discovery. They had these great strong shoulders, a superhero kind of silhouette. And it was just a little more casual in TOS. So we wanted to kind of elaborate on the uniforms in that way and just, yeah, make it a little more comfortable for the actors as well. We decided to open it up and reintroduce the Starfleet dress. It changes the silhouettes. The Starfleet dress is, again, part of the nostalgia of the original series. The tunic is something that can be worn by any gender. We've used a micro print on the tops of the shoulders and then down the sleeves. And Sarah, maybe you can tell us about microprint. Yeah, a fun, fun detail for fans is that our microprint, we did a different microprint for each department. So the gold command is the star. Our science microprint is the planet. And the uh, engineering microprint is the spiral. And then also for medical, we did the cross. So each one is uh, specific to their department. The next um, set of costumes we have is the medical. It's a great fusion of Discovery and TOS in my opinion. So the medical team in Discovery wore these medical white costumes. We've updated it with our own microprint, but they look amazing on anyone who wears them. 
It's a glowing white full body skin tight jumpsuit. I have been compared to a fluorescent tube light. Ow! It's kind of a nice challenge every day trying not to get anything on it because if you breathe in the wrong direction then you get a smudge. But I feel uh, a million bucks in it as well. It was a beautiful moment to, to have that streamlined, uh, beautiful blue, sea blue color on with the black strip. So the medical tunic is um, kind of influenced by bones from the TOS era. It's a really classic um, round neck with the black kind of trim. We've updated it with this magnetic closure and the microprint is the medical symbol. So it was an experience putting that uniform on, knowing the people that have worn it. I giggled, I giggled uh, like a child. <laughs> It's like the stamp, that final thing that's like concrete and cementing us into the realism of the moment. And I hope that the fans at home see the attention to detail because what Costumes is doing with these, they're incredible. And I think that is just another piece of what the diehard fans are really, really going to appreciate. In the Star Trek episode, The Galileo 7, what is the name of the second shuttle Kirk orders to search for Galileo? A, Copernicus, B, Einstein, C, Tycho, or D, Columbus? And the answer is D, Columbus. The Galileo had a successor with the same name and hull number after the original was lost in Murasaki 312. Across all of the Enterprise ships, there would eventually come to be five different Galileo shuttles. And now we come to the part of the ready room where I give you an exclusive look at next week's episode of Star Trek Strange New Worlds. With a new self-contained adventure every week on Strange New Worlds, I am fully depending on these sneak peeks to hold me over while I wait. It's kind of like watching the original series of The Next Generation back in the before times. Are you ready? Okay, but are you really ready? I know you're ready, I'm just messing with you. Here you go. Energize. Commander, I'm having trouble getting a lock on your signals. The ion storm is interfering. Storm's only getting closer, Enterprise. One second, Commander. Energizing. Transporter room to engineering. Ember, I'm losing them. Rerouting auxiliary power. Get ready. Chief Hammer to bridge. Prepare for temporary engagement of emergency systems backups. Additional operations personnel required on deck 16. Ops personnel to deck 16. Engineering to transporter. Try it now. How did you? I am a genius. Move quickly. Well, now I'm just going to be stressed until next week. Seems like Captain Pike and the crew are in a stormy situation. Dad joke. Everyone, thank you so much for watching this week's episode of The Ready Room. Next week, I'm joined by Rebecca Romaine, who currently resides as number one in our hearts and on our screens, as well as Strange New Worlds co-executive producer and writer, Akela Cooper, to dig into episode three of Strange New Worlds, Ghosts of Illyria. How very intriguing. Until then, I'm Will Wheaton. Live long and prosper.